Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Oh, well, it was a great, great week. Thank you to all who volunteered. There were so many, too many uh, uh, to name, but it, was, it really was a great week. We had the kids learning to write their names in Hebrew and all kinds of fun stuff. So, you know, I'm talking about Jesus. Um, this thing back here, this backdrop, as you know, is built by, you know, Tim Cyrus and mom and so forth. And, and, and apparently uh, Bridges Church saw what we were doing and liked it so much they asked if they could use it. So they're coming to take it. So we'll be sharing that with that church, which is a good thing. Um, uh, let me just say that I know a lot of you have been praying for me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, this is just how God's sense of humor works. We have VBS, mom and dad go on vacation. Um, uh, Ralph is quarantined because his wife has COVID and I get shingles. So I get, a, I get to preach two weeks in a row and teach VBS with shingles. Um, I'm waiting for the lidocaine to kick in. When it does, I'll be fine. Uh, God bless lidocaine, by the way. Um, and if you're over 50, you go get that, uh, you get that shingle shot because this is not worth it, let me tell you. Um, so we are continuing in the Gospel Project. This is the series that we have chosen to be in for some time. It's the same series that the kids are doing. They'll be touching on the same scriptures back in their classes that I'll be preaching about here with, you know, the hopes that you all will be able to discuss that with your kids or grandkids and have some family discipleship time. That's really what we want. And I uh, know it was a little, little um, stuffy in here, but Dad just cranked up the AC, so it should be a little bit better as we go on. We're going to look at Genesis 4 here in a minute. Genesis 4, 1 through 16 is uh, where we are going to be. Now, I, I, this is a story that, I, I, you know, I could go on and on and on about, I won't, uh, because the lidocaine lasts just so long, and when it wears off again, the sermon ends, even if I'm in mid-sentence. Um, somebody just say amen, and we'll go home. Uh, this is a story I, I could talk about, because there's so many things here, but I really want to drill down on a couple things, and it flows directly from last week when we looked at Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and sin enters the world. So, let's take a look at it, and then we'll talk about it. Genesis 4.1. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, and notice this, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. 
but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. And so Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Nobody likes to talk about God's punishment. Nobody likes to talk about God's discipline. And nobody likes to talk about the ultimate discipline, which is hell. Nobody likes to talk about that. But that's a recent phenomenon in the church. That's only really popped up in the last 40 or 50 years out of 2000. Uh, I've been reading this week um, a lot about John Wesley. And when John Wesley was preaching throughout the fields of England and, and North America, and he preached a lot about God's punishment. John Wesley firmly believed that you could not understand the good news of Jesus Christ unless you understood first the bad news. It is, in fact, a pretty good idea to regularly remind ourselves, especially in this day and age, which I'll try to circle back to, that we are mortal and we have one of two destinations. Uh, now, I turned 50 this year, uh, and a Thanks to that and the shingles, I definitely feel old. And so now I get to tell old, bad preacher joke stories without feeling embarrassed because that's just expected of my age. I was listening to one preacher tell a story where he was talking about this, about being reminded of our mortality. He talks about this guy. This guy gets a parrot for a gift. And so somebody gives him this parrot in a cage And then when the guy leaves who's given the gift, he realizes why he got the gift. Somebody had trained this parrot not only to curse, but to curse at everyone. And so this this parrot is just cursing at him and cursing at him and cursing at him. And the guy really tries to train the parrot. I mean, he, he, he tries to teach him nice phrases. He tries to talk softly to the parrot, tries to convince him not to say those words, all that kind of stuff. And then one day, his sister and his niece and nephew are over, and the parrot starts cursing at them. And so they leave, and the guy's had enough. He's just frustrated. He opens the cage, grabs the parrot, swings open the refrigerator freezer door, throws the parrot in there in the freezer, closes the door, and for 10 seconds he hears cursing and squawking and flapping, and then for 10 seconds it goes silent. Well, now the guy starts to feel bad. He thinks, oh my goodness, did I kill the parrot? He opens the freezer back up, and there's the parrot, 
Lo and behold, the parrot just hops up on his arm, and he looks at him, and he says, I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. I will only speak kind words from here on out. And his owner, shocked, is about to ask him a question when the parrot goes, by the way, what did the turkey in the freezer, what did he do? <laughs> it is uh, every once in a while to be reminded of those things, if not regularly, uh, may be a little helpful to us in our behavior and our state of mind. You know, we cannot, if anything, these days lately where we have just seen evil after evil after evil after evil. And the simple fact is, it is very difficult to look at any person and say, that person obviously is wicked. That person obviously is evil. That person is obviously capable of doing horrible things. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't used to watch a lot of like the true crime stuff or listen to a lot of the true crime stuff. I, I did enough of that. I worked uh, a death penalty case and I worked as a prosecutor and I kind of thought I did my time before I went into corporate law. But here lately I've been starting to watch a thing here or there and, and um, on, I think it was Hulu or Netflix or something like that. I, I was watching a documentary about John Wayne Gacy. Do you remember John Wayne Gacy? Uh, this was a guy who in the 70s and, and I think um, into the early 80s perhaps killed dozens of people and stuffed many of them in his basement. And when he was arrested, the news footage was exactly what we've seen over and over again. Oh, but he, he seemed like such a nice man. I mean, he was like a member of the JCs, and he was like a community leader, and oh, he always had a joke, and he always had a smile on us. We can't imagine, right? I mean, how many times have you seen that? Somebody goes out, they do something horrible, they shove a microphone in one of the neighbor's faces. Oh, but he was so quiet. You cannot look to see evil. Only God can look in the heart and see evil. And the simple fact is that the Bible teaches that, unfortunately, all of us, given enough time wallowing in our sin without a relationship with God, can, in fact, do horrible, evil things. Um, I'm a bit of history buff and... I remember taking history of World War II in college. And some of you will remember, if nothing else, maybe you've seen the movie Judgment at Nuremberg, you'll remember that after the war ended and those images started to come over from Germany and American people in newsreels and movie theaters began to see the horrors that were happening throughout Nazi Germany. Millions of Jews and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and dissenters and gypsies and all anybody that the Hitler found undesirable in his new Reich were shipped out to death camps. And after this hit, the Allies worked with the new nation of Israel to hunt down the Nazis who had helped put together and run these death camps. They chased them all over the world and they put them on trial. And when the trials hit, one of the things that struck 
both those testifying about what happened in those camps and those who were just covering for the press, one of the things they could not believe is when they began to march these people in, some of the people who had come up with gas showers and acid showers and all this other kind of stuff. They expected these people to come in and they'd be, you know, six foot eight with fangs and drooling and, and Charlie Manson crazy eyes and all this other kind of stuff. And here come these little five foot six ordinary looking guys look like they're accountants. And they couldn't believe it. These just like ordinary people and they did some of the most evil things in history. We just saw when we're reading through Genesis 4 how much Eve celebrates the birth of Cain. She's happy. Her first baby. There's Cain. She never could have imagined that one day he would become a murderer. There's a, an Americana folk song by a guy by the name of Robbie Folks who has a line in the song says, Somewhere right now, a mother looks down lovingly into a killer's eyes. You just don't know. But here's a couple of things we can pick up from the story. Cain is a, he works gardens. He, he raises fruits. He raises vegetables. That's, that's what he does. That's his assigned task. Abel raises livestock. That's what he does. And, and the text tells us that when it came time to sacrifice before God, Abel brings the best. Newborn, without blemish. Abel just grabs whatever. Abel is doing something. He is sacrificing his best for God. Now, I... I've never lived on a farm, I've never worked on a farm, I've never wanted to work on a farm, but because I was raised by my father, I've heard a lot of stories about farms. And the thing about somebody who relies on livestock is this, tell me if I'm wrong, I mean, you don't know how many animals you're going to get in a year. How many are going to survive? You, you don't know. Abel doesn't know if these, these fine animals that he's had, if he's going to have any more. But he trusts God, and he takes it to God anyway and says, here you are. It's the best I have. Cain just picks up whatever here, and God says, no, Cain, that's not good enough. I won't take that. And then Cain gets angry. Why does Cain get angry at Abel? What did Abel do? There's no indication in the story that Abel looked over and saw Cain was just throwing in some parsley here and a half-rotten apple here and whatever, and Abel goes, well, I'll show him up. There's no indication of that. Abel just trusts God, while Cain is just going through the motions. And it is God who rejects Cain's sacrifice but Cain gets angry at Abel. This still happens, by the way. I have seen it in ministry for years and years and years and years. 
You see somebody who is truly devout, truly trusts God, really has a strong faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that, they have a peace in their lives that no matter what comes, they're never broken. They may get a little down, they may get, they may cry, they may, but they're never broken. They have that faith in the Lord, and they don't break. And I've seen others look at that and actually get mad. When, who is at issue? It's, it's Cain's fault. The person who doesn't have that peace, who gets tossed, you know, here and there by the different waves that come along in life, they haven't drilled down. They haven't trusted. And yet they get angry that they don't get the blessing. And this is what Cain is doing. Cain wants the blessing of God, but he doesn't want to be obedient or sacrifice. He just wants the blessing. He wants God's stuff. He doesn't want God. And this is a problem, as far as I can tell, with most Christians everywhere. They want heaven. They want a get-out-of-hell-free card. They don't really want God. Um, last night, well, I, after I was done slathering more lidocaine on my back, uh, my wife and I watched a documentary about the Puritans because we like to rock and roll all night and party every day. And, but the thing about the Puritans is, is this. They were so sold out to God. There came a time when Charles I came back to the throne of England and he tried to reintroduce Catholicism and he tried to squeeze out the Puritans. The Puritans refused. The king said, you must preach in these churches, you must preach these sermons, you must follow this liturgy, you will do what you're told. 2,000 of them said no. They walked away. And they began just preaching in the fields. So when that didn't work, the king turned to his new archbishop, who was about as Christian as Joseph Stalin, and said, take care of this. And so he began to go out and he began to arrest the Puritans and if they refused when arrested he would cut off their ears and brand their face with a hot iron and you know what they did after that went out and started preaching again one of the Puritans told the king and his archbishop don't you know what comes next what comes next is, I will execute you. To which one of the Puritan pastors said, you don't understand. For those who truly love God, the day of our death is even better than our day we were born. Because we finally get Jesus. That's trust. It is a fair question to ask, as one minister did 
If you could go to heaven without Jesus or go to hell with him, which would you prefer? What do you want? Do you want God's blessing or do you want God? The second thing to take away from this is this. Last week we saw with Adam and Eve, we saw that, you'll remember, that God gives Adam and Eve only one negative command, only one. You're not to eat from that tree. They do so anywhere, anyway. They automatically feel shame, and what do they do? They jump behind God's bushes and trees and try to hide. And as I said last week, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, what does God call the trees and the vegetation that he brings up? He calls them good. And so what are Adam and Eve doing? They're hiding from God amidst God's blessing. What is Cain doing? He murders his brother. Does he ever seem to think once that God can see everything that's going on? That God knows? And then God comes to him and says, Cain, where's your brother? Now, as I've said, you'll see this all through Scripture as we go through it. When God asks you a question, he is not looking for information. He already knows the answer. If God asks you a question, what's he doing? He's giving you a chance to confess and repent. But Cain doesn't do that. What does he do? What? What am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. I said this last week, but this would tie in, and here it is. Cain is hiding from God just like Adam and Eve did. And the way he hides from God is the way we all tend to do it, which is pretend he's not there. We sin, whenever we sin, we pretend God's not there. There is no way, unless you are a total sociopath, that if you believe in God, you would sin if you truly believe the eyes of God were on you at that moment. You're pretending. You're hiding from the reality. Amidst God's blessing, you are hiding from the reality. Cain does the, almost the exact same thing Adam and Eve do. I said last week, let me repeat it. Number one, sin is inherited. It is part of your spiritual DNA. We've all inherited a sinful nature, a propensity to sin, a propensity to selfishness. We all have it. Two. It gets worse if parents teach that sin to them. We tend to follow our parents. I've seen it over and over again. Who, who are the most likely people to become alcoholics? The children of alcoholics. Who are the most likely people to be abusers, to abuse people, physically abuse people in their home, those who have been abused. It gets taught. It gets taught. But for those of us, and here's the thing, you can look at some kind of stereotype of some person who is an addict and who is physically violent and say, well, Raised in terrible circumstances, so forth and so on. Maybe so, but you, what's your excuse? 
Because all sin is sin. We tend to look at, have a really distorted view of sin. We either go one way, which is sin is doing bad things, breaking the rules. It's little things. We're being naughty. We just need to ask forgiveness at some point. Or we look at sin. The only real sin are the big sins. Murder, adultery, that kind of thing. And the Bible says, no, all of it's sin. All of it is treason against God. All of it counts. And all of it is a lack of trust in God. That God knows what's best for us. Like I said last week, we sin. When we sin, we are looking at God and saying, you don't know what's best for me. I do. I will do what I want to do because I know best what is best for me. That's a lack of trust in God. And then we execute that sin because we do not truly believe God is present. We're hi- we hide from God. And we have the Bible to warn us, and just like Cain, God tells Cain, does he? Before this, he said, Cain, listen to me. Sin is crouching. In the Hebrew, you can actually say coiled up like a snake waiting for you. You must master it. He's given us a warning. If there is a dangerous animal and sin is a dangerous beast, if there is a dangerous animal around, don't you want to know about it? When I um, got out of law school, I had packed on a few pounds because there is no time to exercise in law school. And so when I started practicing law after I got through the bar exam, I, uh, whenever I'd get done with work, I'd try to get back about at least a half an hour before the sunset, because I usually work from about 7 to 7 or 7 to 8. And there was a little park in Charleston, West Virginia, just down the street from where I live in the, little, in the townhouse that I own. My son called it Daddy's Jogging Park. My son, by the way, who turns 19 today, and I saw him the other day. He was coming out, he came up from from college for a little bit. You wouldn't recognize him. I don't know where he got this gene with Rawlings in him. He's six foot two and about 100 pounds. Um, I tried to put carbs on the kid, it just doesn't work. Um, But I would go to the park. And I would try to jog for at least a half an hour every night. And this is back almost 20 years ago. And so back then I would run with a mixed CD, Google it. And I'd have to play it on a CD Walkman, which was like jogging with a manhole cover. And I would run with this thing. And one day I'm running at the very top of the park, and the park was right next to a hill with with pretty thick woods as you get in, in West Virginia. And I'm running around, and this guy jumps in front of me, and he's going like this. And so I, like, pluck the Ozzy Osbourne out of my ears, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I, I said, yeah. And I think this guy's crazy. And he looked at me and said, didn't you see that? I said, see what? He said a black bear just went right behind you. It was the last time I brought my CD Walkman to the park. Um, 
Then a few years later, I'm working for ADF out of Arizona, and I'd have to go out to Phoenix three or four times a year for meetings. And I'm out there one day, and I'm trying to get in shape, and I wake up really early, and I look out, and the gym is full, so I look out, and right next to the hotel they had us in was just this long patch of wilderness, which if you've ever been to Phoenix, you know, there's lots of that. There's lots of nothing around Phoenix. Where they were getting ready to build something there, but they hadn't started yet. And so I just go out and I start running out there. And I'm running, and about 10 minutes into my jog, I hear And I look over about five feet from me, coiled under a bush, was a rattlesnake. And so I said, Time to stop running, at least that way. Other way, sure. Take care, buddy. You know, I'm out. I would rather have the ch 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 than the guy going like this two seconds after it happened to tell me that a bear was like sniffing like, any good? And by the way, I'm pretty sure you've all heard this. Like if you encounter your bear, play dead. You know who started that? Bears. Nobody wants to run before a meal. Um, Cain is warned. He is told. Sin is coiled there. Sin is crouching there. You must master it. Now, the Bible is very, very clear about how to master sin in your life. One, it is primarily the work of the Holy Spirit. Two, you need to understand that God is always there, always with you, always watching, and you must practice the presence of the Lord. Or you'll just continue to commit the same sins over and over and over and over again. And if you don't, if you don't heed that warning, if you don't take the necessary steps, and like I said last week, sometimes you, you, there are some practical steps you have to take. If, there, if you're just on the internet all the time and looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at, go get accountability software or a filter to put on your modem or, or whatever. Just go, go, go do it. There are those practical things you can do to cure the symptom, but what I'm talking about this morning is dealing with the disease. You'll never be perfect. You'll never perfectly master your sin. You'll always have thoughts that pop in that you don't want there. All that kind of stuff will happen because, as we saw last week, what Jesus said, that stuff's already in your heart. It's already inside of you. But if you let it run wild, man, I am telling you, it is like inviting a dark presence into your home. I had, I worked for a counselor for three years when I was in seminary, a licensed professional counselor, one of the wisest people I ever knew. And he told me this. He said, for example, the kind of anger that Cain has, he obviously, he's angry at himself, he's angry at God, he takes it out on Abel, that's not that abnormal. But here's something we do. Most of us are not going to go commit murder. What we're going to do is swallow anger. When you swallow anger, when you don't deal with anger in a healthy way, guess what happens? It becomes depression. Depression is often swallowed anger. 
And when depression comes, you become, what happens? Less selfish or more selfish? More. You ever heard a depressed person talk, especially after they've been dumped? Do they talk about anything else other than being dumped? No, you can't talk about a ball game with somebody who's just got dumped. What are they doing? They're talking about it. They're looking at their ex's Facebook page. That's all they do. You become more selfish. And the more selfish you become, the more you will sin. It's just that simple. It's just like letting this presence into your home. There's a reason why, many reasons why the Apostle Paul tells us, even though it sounds impossible, but it's really not, to pray constantly, to pray without ceasing. Now, a lot of you have been taught to pray in a way where you're just like, all you ever do is ask God for stuff, for things, for, for other people. That's not all of prayer, man. Just because you run out of people to ask God to heal or be with or all the other kind of stuff does not mean you can talk to God about anything and everything. But the more you pray, what happens? The more you're aware of what? The presence of God. And the more you're aware of the presence of God, the less likely you are to sin. Sin is crouching at each one of our doors, and we must master it. Let me repeat one more thing I said last week, because these two, this three and four kind of really go together. If you read the Bible carefully enough, God is not as concerned about your happiness as he is your character. He wants you to be godly. He wants you to be holy. Not just over the moon happy. And the fact is, another thing that at least I have noticed is this. We have become so distracted, we are entertaining ourselves to death. We just constantly veg out, binge watching, you know, just news on 24-7 or binge-watching shows on Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime or all kinds you know, It's gotten so ridiculous. I, a year ago, I canceled cable because I thought, you know, I've got a thousand channels and I watch like five of them. And so I canceled cable and then my wife and I began to pick up streaming services. We now have so many streaming services, I'm paying as much as I did for cable. It's just stupid. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm still glad that, you know, that the cable is gone, as, as I've said. I, I don't know how Satan has the time to provoke wars and, and, and violence and, 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 and sin when he's running spectrum. But I, it, it, the simple thing is we have, I mean, when I grew up, you remember the 70s? We had three channels, four if you counted PBS, and I did not. We had ABC, NBC, and CBS. That's it. That's all we had. And today we have so much, plus YouTube and everything else. And we, it's so easy to sit there, and next thing you know, six hours have just gone by. 
and we're entertained, but we haven't thought once about the presence of God. Right? It's just really easy to do. Speaking of getting irritated and angry yesterday, um, I, you know, I, I get up fairly early, not by choice, but because my wife's demon puppies want to eat and go do their business. And the youngest one that she got, this one that she conned me into, she pouted all day to get this stupid little thing. And it looked really cute, but then it got comfortable in the house. And here's what it does. Like, if I just want to sleep, like, another 15 minutes, I, I would pull my, the covers over my head, and I'd just go back to sleep, and then the dogs would quit licking me. This one comes up, finds where my head is, takes his little teeny tiny Freddy Krueger claws and goes, at my head. And it sounds like a snare drum in our, in our bedroom. Oh. So I get up, feed the dogs, take them out, wait for them to do their business. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And because apparently one of the dogs needs more fiber in its diet. And so I'm waiting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, I see my wife, and she's gotten up, and she knocks on the door, and she makes some kind of hand signal. I'm like, what? what's going on? And so I go inside, she goes, the power's out. I said, the power's out? Why is the power out? It's 64 degrees, and there's not a cloud in the sky. Why is the power out on a Saturday morning? It was out for seven hours in Wheelersburg. About 1,100 people lost power in Wheelersburg. Still have no idea why. And I got irritated. But you know what I, I did? Because it started to get hot in the house, air conditioner's not running. I took, my, I took some books, I went out on the back porch, breeze blowing, sunshine, and I started reading about the Bible. And there I was irritated, and it was probably the most productive Saturday I've had in years. Because I wasn't distracted by a bunch of nonsense. But it's so easy to fall into that. It just is. It just is. One of the points of doing this, of the Gospel Project, is to show how Jesus Christ is present in every text of Scripture, Old Testament and New. Jesus is always there in some way, shape, or form. This is nothing new. This is nothing radical. The, what we call them the church fathers, those who were trained by the apostles and then trained people and so forth who became leaders in the church, they did this. You see Paul do this. He talks about the Exodus. What was the rock that, that, that Moses struck? It was Jesus Christ. It was, you know, he does this all the time. And one of the reasons why God inspired his Bible to be filled with Jesus from Genesis 1 all the way to into the book of Revelation is that if Jesus is all over the word of God, the authority of human life, where should he be in, where should he be in your life? You can go to parts of New York City and, and, and parts of L.A. that I've been to, or, or you can go to Israel, as many of you have been. You'll see some Orthodox Jewish men walk around, and, and they'll have a wooden box strapped to their head right here. I talked about 
this this week with the, with the kiddos in, in synagogue school here. And inside that little box is a little teeny tiny scroll from the Old Testament. Now, why do they wear that? They wear that to constantly remind themselves that the Lord God commanded them to keep his word before them day and night. That's why they do it. It may look silly to you, but they take it seriously. Typically, we don't. So where is Jesus in the story of Cain and Abel? Well, when you read through the church fathers, you look at different biblical scholars who take this seriously. Some say he is the opposite Cain. Cain is the oldest brother. The oldest brother is supposed to care for the younger brother. And what is Cain told? Cain said, look, just do your best. Bring me your best, just like, you know, and, and everything will be fine. You'll be accepted. And Cain lashes out, kills his own little brother. And what is God's response? God does banish him from the land and from his family, but, but he says, this is more punishment than I can bear. If anybody finds me, and I guess he's talking about Adam or, 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 or that Adam and Eve will have more kids, which they do, they're going to kill me. And, he, and God actually says, no, I won't allow anyone to kill you. I will put a mark on you to protect you. Cain commits murder, and he gets God's mercy. Jesus is told, you are the older brother. I don't know if you know this. Scripture says that all of us who come to faith in Christ are adopted children of God, and our eldest brother is Jesus Christ. Jesus is told, leave your throne and be murdered for your brothers and sisters. You will receive no mark of protection. You will receive no blessing. The great English preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was preaching through this, said, when God says, your brother's blood cries out for justice, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached, Jesus Christ's blood cries out for mercy. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached that this is how, if, if, if there was some kind of conversation between the Father and the Son in the heavenly court, it would go something like this. Son, your blood cries out. And Jesus' response is, yes, Father. It is spilled for them. It is their punishment. And because you are a just God, you will not condemn my brothers and sisters. There is no double condemnation. That is their blood. Jesus is the righteous older brother. He is the righteous king. He doesn't just bring his best from this field. He brings himself. What I want from you as I wrap up because the lidocaine is just now starting to wear off. Again, get that shot. This stuff burns. Um, what I want 
for myself, what I want for all of you is to practice the presence of the Lord so that you may grow. To take your sins seriously, to immediately repent and beg for forgiveness the moment you sin, to recognize the seriousness of that sin. To remind yourself, however it has to be done, that the Lord is with you always. You can have one or two presences in your home. The darkness of pervasive sin or the presence of the Lord Jesus. I know that there are symptoms that you have to deal with. There are practical steps that you have to take. If you're greedy, start giving more. If you're wrestling with lust, eliminate whatever you have to do so that you don't have an avenue to execute that sin. If you are struggling with anger, pray more, get counseling, get some exercise, get out there, deal with it in a healthy way. But at the end of the day, I don't want you just to constantly being tinkering with temptation. I want you to crush it, to master it. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit when we practice the presence of the Lord. Adam and Eve and Cain hid from God, pretended he wasn't there. We'll fall into the same trap if we do the same. All of us. One more story and we'll quit. Heard this preacher story. Guy preaching, similar to the message that I was preaching about sin, mastering sin, overcoming temptation. At the end of his sermon, a guy comes forward. He gets down on his knees and begins to pray. So the preacher gets down there and begins to pray with him. And the guy on his knees who's come forward, he says, Lord, please clear away the cobwebs of lust from my heart. Lord, please clear away the cobwebs of greed from my heart. Lord, clear away the cobwebs of selfishness in my heart. And the pastor interrupted him and said, no, Lord. Don't just clear away the cobwebs. Kill the spider. You hear me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church, myself included, to better practice your presence, to know you are always there, remind ourselves, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, what it cost for your presence to be there in a loving way, for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. May we take sin deathly serious. May we heed your warning that is always crouching, always coiled, and we must master it. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit. 
May we do the absolute best that we can to crush it, to become a holy, loving, gracious people who love you and not just your blessings, who love each other and not just what each other, what we can do for each other. May we truly be the people you want us to be, the church you want us to be. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God go with you. Lord willing, the old tanned preacher will be back up here next weekend. See ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.